0: What a wonderful passage! Don't know about you. I love what we see here about Paul's deep care for the Philippians and how he has this deep longing for news of them so that he can be cheered up. And really, in a very similar vein, I just want to say how much I care for you at Church Central West and how personally. I was deeply encouraged this last week hearing news from Steve and then from Sanju about Peter's continued improved health and of breakthroughs that you're seeing in prayer and of the number of people among you who are stepping up and contributing and leading stuff. It is so encouraging hearing news about how you are getting along. Well done! and keep going. Now, before we dive a little deeper into these verses that have just been read to us, I want to just very quickly back up and remind ourselves of the background story here. If you remember, Paul's in prison. uh, We think it's probably in Rome. Uh, And the way the whole Roman prison system worked was you didn't get food or water given to you by the prison wardens. No, you were very much at the mercy of family and friends to look after you. Now, hundreds of miles away, the Philippians heard about Paul's plight. They've been friends since Paul helped plant the church in Philippi a number of years ago, and so they take on offering to help him out. And then they decide to send this guy called Epaphroditus to travel in excess of 800 miles to personally deliver their gift. Along the way, Epaphroditus gets sick. In fact, he almost dies. But despite that, he refuses to turn around. He keeps going all the way to Rome. Paul's provided for, and the gospel keeps advancing. And so it's a story with an incredibly happy ending, the problem is the Philippians are very much in the dark about all of this, That they don't have a clue what's happened. I mean, did Epaphroditus make it safely to Philippi? And what of Paul, is he even still alive? And if so, how's he doing? Now, back then, the, the only way to send news was in person. Paul can't go, obviously, because he's in prison. Timothy can't go, because he's Paul's right-hand man and needs him with him so Paul concocts his plan to send Epaphroditus back with this letter to the Philippian church and once Paul's fate becomes a little clearer he then hopes to send Timothy with all the latest news hopefully culminating in Paul himself being free to visit them again in person now just by an aside Don't know about you, I find it strangely reassuring that even the great Apostle Paul contended with uncertainty and frustration in his life. Like, he makes plans, but doesn't know how it'll all plan out. There are things he desperately wants to do that he's thwarted in and can't do. He hopes to do stuff, but fears he won't be able to. It's like circumstances that he certainly wouldn't have chosen are very much dictating what he can and can't do. And I think probably we can all relate to that right now, can't we? We, we, we can't get to people we love. Can't even meet together. We, we've seen so many of our plans thwarted and come to nothing. We're deeply impacted, aren't we, by day-to-day circumstances that are frustratingly out of our control and yet through it all God is still God, he remains on the throne and he's still good and so at times like these I think it's essential that we follow Paul's example here and resolve to put our hope in the Lord Amidst all the uncertainties and all the frustrations, that is where our certainty and confidence ultimately lies. Now all that being said, what I want to show you in the rest of our time today is essentially how these verses perfectly illustrate all that Paul's been teaching in the letter so far. And so, you remember all the way back to chapter 1, verse 27. Paul, uh, if you recall, lays out the thesis or the central point of this letter. He says, Live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Basically, that is what Philippians is all about. Paul's calling the church to live out the gospel. And so in chapter 2, Paul begins unpacking what this looks like in practice. He lays out his vision for the church, living out the gospel in humility and unity. Says in verse 2, Make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. He goes on to add, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but the interests of others. So Paul kind of dreams of a church that lives out the gospel by being full of humility and unity. And then... Through the rest of this chapter, the rest of chapter 2, Paul provides a whole series of examples of what this looks like in action. First up is Jesus. Don't need me to tell you, he is the example. And then he puts up Israel as a kind of negative example that we're not to follow. It's like they're the exact opposite of unity and humility And then in the passage we're looking at today, Paul lays out a couple of other examples that would have been really closely known by the Philippians. There's this guy, Timothy, and this other guy, Epaphroditus. Timothy was there when Paul first planted the church, and Epaphroditus was this dearly loved member of the church. And so Paul's going, look at them. I want you to look at how they live, I want you to follow the example of these two men. Now, let's be real. I think we all need examples, don't we? We all need people who are a little further down the road of faith that we can look up to and be inspired by. We could all do with learning from people, couldn't we, who've got a little bit of a track record. I think of Dave Holmes, who, Moved to help plant this church 25 years ago now and has remained faithful, committed, steadfast, humbly serving through thick and thin ever since. I think of Helen Ryman and her integrity, her desire to hear from God and then her courage in sharing it with others, her compassion, her mercy. I think of Lamchin and Patty, And their incredible generosity, their kindness, their thoughtfulness to others. Like, it's one thing to be told to live as citizens of the kingdom. It's a whole other thing when you put flesh and blood, real life examples, onto theology. And really, that's what verses 19 to 30 here are all about. And so... Let's take a quick look at what we can learn from these characters, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Let's begin with Timothy. The first thing Paul highlights about Timothy is he's genuine. Verse 20, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. He's genuine. He's authentic. Not, how are you? don't really care, but I'm just trying to appear nice. No, what you see is what you get. He's genuinely concerned about their welfare, not his own. He, he, he wants what's best for others. He's genuine. Second thing that, that Paul highlights here is he's selfless. Verse 21, all, all the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. I want you to notice all the parallel language going on here. Earlier on in chapter 2, verse 2, as we've seen already, Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded. And then in verse 20 here, he says, I have no one else like Timothy. It's actually the exact same word. He's like-minded. Timothy, if you like, models what it means to be like-minded. And then in verse 4, he says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Then here in verse 21, he holds up Timothy as an example of what it actually looks like to truly take an interest in and care for others. Timothy is others focused, which is another way of describing what humility is. It's putting others above yourself. And you don't need me to tell you that's a pretty rare commodity, isn't it? You know, We live in a world where people are most concerned about their own welfare, but not Timothy. He's selfless. Third thing we see here is that he's proven. Verse 22, but you know how Timothy has proved himself. This phrase, proved himself, it it speaks of character. That comes as a result of suffering. That that there's a kind of character that simply cannot be learned simply through a sermon or from reading a book. That there's a kind of character that can only be learned through cancer, unemployment, the death of a dream or a vision, the divorce of your parents, brokenness, global pandemic. Will you fill in the blank? You can only develop this kind of character through suffering, through trials, through pain, through trouble. Listen, the beauty of the gospel is that no matter what suffering you're up against, God is magnificently able to draw out of that suffering something beautiful. Out of all the troubles and all the trials over years, Timothy has developed his character. It's like he has a track record. He's proven. And so it's not in vain. And then the fourth thing that Paul highlights here about Timothy is he is eager to learn. Second half of verse 22. Like a son with his father... He has served with me in preaching the good news. You know, it's vital in the church that the younger generation, the Timothys, learn from the older generation, the Pauls. I mean, think of Paul's language in 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. He says, you've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, teach those truths to other trustworthy people who themselves will be able to pass them on to others. It's like his whole vision for the church is one generation teaching the next. and So the way of Jesus is passed down from Paul to Timothy, from Timothy to the Philippians, from the Philippians all the way down to us here today. Or think of Paul's letter to Titus, he says, Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honours God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. Who are they to teach? Well, Paul goes on to describe them passing on to younger women what they've learned. You see, God's calling older men and women to teach younger men and women. His whole vision for the church is really of a family where fathers and mothers raise sons and daughters. His vision is for those who are younger to be eager to learn from those who are older and wiser. And you know what? I think we need that vision more now than ever before. We're one of the few cultures in human history that sadly, doesn't value and respect the elderly. It's like we worship youth and beauty more than we admire age and wisdom. But that is not the way the kingdom of God operates. If you want to grow in your faith, God's calling on your life is to seek out and find others who are older and wiser that you can look up to and learn from. And just to say... It really doesn't have to be a formal arrangement where you meet up with the same person for an hour every week for the rest of your life and until you find that perfect person well you'll just hold off and grow more and more frustrated that there's nobody to disciple you listen you can learn from absolutely anyone if you have a heart posture of a sponge ready to soak up knowledge and experience wherever you go. And so my advice to the younger generation watching this right now is keep your eyes and ears open. Be inquisitive. Ask questions. Seek help. And be quick to listen. And if you're a bit older, my message to you is that you are called to pass on what you've learnt to others And so make yourself available to others, invest in those who are younger, get alongside them, be quick to offer help and support. So there are a few things I think we can learn from the example of Timothy. He's genuine, he's selfless, he's proven, he's eager to learn. Very quickly, let's now turn our attention to Epaphroditus. Verse 25, Paul says, meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker and fellow soldier and he was your messenger to help me in my need. I'm sending him because he has been longing to see you and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill and he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died, but God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. Four words used to describe Epaphroditus here that I want to zoom in on. First of all, he's a brother. Really looked, haven't we, at how Paul's use of family language in speaking of fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, just kind of fills this passage. But his favourite description of his fellow believers in the church is actually of brothers and sisters. To Paul... We're family, Uh, and not just any family, we're we're part of Abraham's family. We're we're called to spread God's blessing to every corner of the earth. Uh, And the gospel ultimately goes forward as you and I live in relationship with other followers of Jesus in a family-like way where he's your brother and she's your sister. And so we don't merely attend church meetings now We're part of a family. We share life together. We look out for each other. Admittedly, we fall out from time to time because that's kind of what happens in a family, but we don't leave because we're family. So first of all, Epaphroditus was a brother. Secondly, Paul also describes him here as a co-worker. Let's be honest, the call to follow Jesus, it can be pretty hard work at times, can't it? It's like every day the alarm goes off, we're to wake up and go to work for the Kingdom of God to see his rule and reign over the earth. Yep, we're saved by grace, but God still has good works for us to do. So think of yourself as a worker, perhaps for the NHS and the Kingdom of God, or a worker maybe for the city council, and the kingdom of God, or a worker for the kingdom of God, and you fill in the blanks. So Paphroditus, he's a brother, he's a co-worker. He's also, thirdly, a fellow soldier. For Paul, life is war. It's a battle, it's a struggle, it's a fight. It requires great bravery and courage. I mean, Paul's in prison. Paphroditus, he was so ill, he almost died but they're still going, side by side, fighting to see the kingdom of God advance. Now look, I know that some of you, through this time, have contended yourself with serious illness. When it feels like you're staring down the barrel of a gun, it can be pretty frightening, can't it? To, to get through requires bravery and courage, and often... God uses those times, as we've seen already, to to work things into us for the next season. So really my encouragement to you would be keep fighting. Please don't be discouraged, don't turn back. Instead, allow God to grow your courage. And through it all, won't you keep standing alongside one another in the midst of the battle? And then fourthly, Epaphroditus is also described here as a messenger interestingly the word for messenger is also the word for missionary and the reality is every single one of us is a messenger or is a missionary all of us were sent by God on mission every single one of us I think the lie is that it's just some special people who are called to go to the other side of the world as missionaries but the truth is that we are all sent by God as missionaries, whether it's to our school, our hospital, our office, or Cairo. We all carry the life-giving message of Jesus wherever we go. And so, as I draw all of this to a close, how do you live out the gospel in unity and humility, whether you're a brother or sister? you're a co-worker, you're a soldier, and you're a messenger or missionary, wherever you go, 24-7, that is God's calling on your life. The question is, do you believe that? I mean, really believe that? Because the church will go forward when, and really only when, we start to believe that, and not only start to believe it, but start to live like that as well. So I simply want to invite you to play your part as a son, as a daughter, as a brother, as a sister, as a father, as a mother, as a worker, a soldier, a messenger, living selflessly and genuinely, always learning and passing on to others what you know over a whole lifetime.